Welcome back to the Rambling Preacher Podcast. My name is Jesse and I'm your host and we are back. So soon? Yes, so soon. My wife sent me this clip so I had to take some time and address it. Um, And ironically, when she sent it to me, I was like, what are you talking about? And then she sent it to me again and I was like, oh, I'm not getting whatever you're sending me. Um, I think it's deleted. And so she went back in and was like, no, it's not deleted. Why are you not seeing it? And I realized I couldn't even watch this reel. Um, and I don't know what it came from, but this reel, this one minute reel, because Isaiah Saldivar blocked me on Facebook. Um, honestly, it's not because of the podcast. It's not because of the Instagram. Uh, it's probably for what I said on American Gospel. Um, and so American Gospel shared his video kind of saying, don't watch this video. They have it out for charismatics. I highly recommend um, American Gospel and what they're doing. Um, all three of their videos, the third one to be released, I'm very excited for with Dr. Michael Brown. And uh, kind of, you know, is there truth to the fire um, without it being excessive strange fire? And so anyway, I'm excited for that. Um, But I commented on American Gospel and said, Saldivar is polarizing on purpose. Saldivar is passionate. He is fiery. Of course, he'll tell his followers not to watch it because it isn't him or his channel. But he'll tell them to go watch a movie with him and Greg Locke in it. Ha ha. I think he's a brother in Christ. Look at that. I'm being so charitable, <laughs> right? I'm saying I, I think he's probably saved. He seems to get the gospel right. Now, you know, is he? I don't know. Does he seem like it? Probably. It's just he's being misled and misdirected by my estimate. Um, but that's why we want to hold all of these things up to scripture and let, you know, kind of the uh, the nuance of that be sorted out in time and uh, and with the, with the Spirit's activity in that. And, you know, at the end of the day, only God knows. But uh, anyway, I continued. He's just worried his followers will realize the errors in the hyper-charismatic circles that he runs in. Once again, I'm not even saying his errors. I'm just saying the circles he runs in has errors and they'll notice. Got to keep their wallets close. He is quite wealthy off of his YouTube channel and everything he does. You know, and that's not, obviously there's plenty of reformed guys that are very wealthy from their books and things too, right? But if he loses momentum, um, that's going to be tough. And so somebody said, you've got him all wrong. And I said, maybe I do, right? I'm even willing to admit, maybe I, maybe he isn't, right? But I know enough about his teachings to tell my friends to just not listen to him, right? And so once again, we're looking at this primarily for the demonology aspect of it, but we have to introduce the demon hunters and talk about this. And I don't want it to be just addressing Saldivar and all of the group from Greg Locke's little ministry team. Um, I really don't. I want it to be very focused on demons through the uh, the series of nine, ten episodes. Um, but, you know, this stuff is going to come up naturally as I'm trying to deal with it. And, uh, and of course, I saw this video right after introducing these two. 
Um, and I'm planning on watching the movie so I can, you know, kind of do a review on that. And then Mike, Mr. Polarizing himself, um, just says the darndest stuff, like just ridiculous out of pocket. Um, you can figure by the name of this podcast, I snort books to avoid my demons, right? Um, and so anyway, my wife had to screen record this because Saldivar blocked me because I had a, an opinion contrary to his and, uh, made sure <laughs> I'm like, maybe he should block me on Instagram too. Cause I definitely do more damage there. And, uh, anyway, uh, here is the clip. I'm going to show it first cause it's only a minute long and then we're going to kind of address point by point. And I just have a lot of scripture to go through with you guys today and kind of a deal with this, um, in hopefully a scriptural way and hopefully only take another, you know, 20, 25 minutes from here. So let me play this for you guys and let me see what you guys think. No, the intellectualism was really just me trying to escape. You know, a lot of these people who get into like um, intellectualism and a lot of these guys who are like very into like um, the deep exegetical stuff in scripture and like the, the reform community guys, the heresy hunters, I, I wonder how many of them are using that to escape the actual thoughts that would happen if they weren't so focused on the intellectualism. Because mm. sometimes you got to keep your mind busy because if you quieted your mind, you'd have to actually confront trauma so it's like a lot of these guys they're making their brain do mental gymnastics and binge watching videos and reading all the time because they're really they have not confronted the the stuff that's really inside of them and it's it's an escape yeah so it's like okay well i do drugs but you snort books yeah you know it's like you know like you're you're just as much distracted with your stuff it's it's just addiction and another flavor no anyway um I mean, he admitted that he used it as an escape, which, I mean, it won't work um, if you're not pursuing Christ. If you are pursuing, you know, intellect over Christ, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think most people do that. Um, And just this wager that people are addicted to intellect, um, right? That's the first bullet I have. And then he says the deep exegetical stuff in scripture, like literally (laughs) for me to listen to that was just like appalling. I'm like, as a pastor, as a teacher that I would consider myself, of course I'm called to do that. Of course I need to do that. And yes, because there's a call upon my life, I have a want to do that. And he's a pastor, he's a teacher, um, and does other stuff, right? But he is. So the fact that he doesn't see why people like that or want that or do that, um, dude, maybe they're called to teach. Maybe they're called to pastor. Read Timothy read Titus. Those, I mean, those three books, those are what completely revolutionized my perspective on being a pastor and, and what pastors do versus what they maybe aren't called to do. And we're not called to every spiritual gift, um, which I know certain people in this group would say you're called to every spiritual gift. I'd argue it very, very much so the opposite, that we have a, a grace upon us and limitations and um, maybe seasons with exceptions, but in general, the Spirit empowers us in certain areas, in certain ways. And so uh, right now, like I feel very incredibly called to uh, pastor and to teach. And uh, if those are my callings and that is what I'm gifted in, then yeah, I'm going to get into the Word of God. I'm going to get into church history. I'm going to get into the books. I'm going to do the 
deep exegetical stuff and yes, have intellect, right? And he goes on to say the Reformed guys. You know, I wonder if he even knows what the Reformation was, why we're called the Reformed guys. Um, Has he read from the Reformed guys? Has he read from the Reformed greats, right? I don't want to do what he's doing, right? Where he's just kind of projecting and making unfair assumptions, but I mean, once I learn truly like about Reformation, that's part of the reason I still like the name so much, because I am a big believer in Semper Reformanda, right? Like this idea that the church needs to continually reform to the Word of God, like that's a Protestant cry. And yeah, so it doesn't mean I necessarily agree with every single thing that the Reformed um, community aligns with, but I, I believe in, you know, some Reformed people look at it as like, we got to reform back to 500 years ago. I don't look at it that way, right? Like I look at it, reform to the word of God, right? That is what I look at. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know how you can read some of these amazing reformed people and not at least be intrigued by their ministries and how incredible they were and just the way they were able to teach the word of God. I mean, you listen to a charismatic and you wonder if any of them have the uh, ability or gifting or empowering from the Holy Spirit to teach, because not very many of them are very good teachers. Now, you can meet people that are in some ways. You can meet people that are very clearly charismatic. I would say like Sam Storms, clearly a great gifted teacher, right? Not very dogmatic on defending the doctrines of the faith, right? That's his feeling. That's his gut. That's where he's going. Um, I wish it wasn't, right? Same with Dr. Michael Brown. Incredible teacher. I don't agree with everything he does or says, right? Just like Sam Storms. But both of Sam Storms and Dr. Michael Brown, I wish, the one biggest thing I have with them is I wish they were more willing to call out hyper-charismatic misuses, abuses, and uh, they're just not. And that's the one thing that really frustrates me about both of their ministries is they just kind of are willing to link arms with hyper-charismatic ministries without really doing any due diligence. I mean, even with uh, Sam Storm's, you know, article on Bethel and their music and just play their music, their statement of faith on their website is orthodox. I'm like, that's really lazy. Like, Occults have orthodox statements of faith. Come on, are we really going to partner with ministries that are occultic in behavior? Are we going to partner with the LDS church? Are we going to partner with, right? Like, it's just, I didn't, I, I was very frustrated at that article because I felt like it was a whiff. Like, no, do your due diligence, right? But he didn't want to pick a fight. He likes to keep arm in arm with the, to- arm in arm with the tongue speakers, right? And that is really, by definition, tribalism. You, you are literally choosing to stay out of it because of allegiance to a particular, you know, set of spiritual gifts instead of, you know, and that's just the old way of thinking. Like, I am going to partner with those that get the gospel right. And yeah, I'll probably partner with people that have similar doctrines and theology as me in the secondary areas, because we see things similarly, and we're going to want to handle the world in a similar way, right? I mean, I think it'll be very hard for a pre-mill and a post-mill to uh, do ministry together. That's just a reality, right? Um, It's going to be very hard for a complementarian and egalitarian to do ministry together. Anyway, I'm rambling unnecessarily um, because, you know, you get mad at these reformed guys, but I'm like, do you even know the good ones, right? Like, I'm not talking about John MacArthur. He's not even technically reformed, right? Like, I'm talking R.C. Sproul. I'm talking Stephen Lawson. I'm talking C.H. Spurgeon, right? particular reformed baptist right like these types of people you listen to them and they're not attacking they're not hateful they're wonderful amazing teachers who actually show you the context and actually get you through the word of god in a clearly spiritually empowered way right 
I don't always agree with heresy hunters and he brought them up. I don't always agree with them either. I don't love heresy hunter ministries. And that's why for me, like, I don't want this demon series to turn into like heresy hunting Saldivar and his peers or Greg Locke and his peers. Um, I'm just going to say it once and, and, and leave it, you know, at this for you guys right now, like based on everything I've seen, Saldivar seems saved. He seems okay for charismatics, but I think he's definitely drifting into dangerous teachings. And uh, as he's getting more re-upped and more re-emboldened, I should say, I don't know if that's a word, but he said he drifted away from deliverance and that was because the devil wanted him to, right? Um, I actually think his he was doing his best work when he was drifted away from deliverance, right? And so I, I'm very concerned about his new trajectory. Um, but Greg Locke, avoid very clearly. Uh, I'm willing to say Mike seems like an avoid, right? I'm willing to say that Saldivar seems like an avoid until further noticed, right? Like there's just better people to listen to, including me. Like I have a tiny ministry in comparison to these guys, right? So if you're listening to me, I am incredibly flattered. But I mean, honestly, you're listening to this 30 minute podcast. I'm glad you are. I love that you are. But at the same time, I'm like, you guys could have listened to a 30 minute, um, well, (laughs) that would be like half a chapter from Spurgeon. But you could listen to something by Spurgeon who is incredible in every way, right? Like, I want you to listen to this. I want you to be a part of this community. However, like, understand, like, there are really darn good voices out there to listen to. Um, So take me, right? Like, the goal here is theology grounded in charity about balance. you know, and I would argue they're being puffed up and arrogant. Um, and this podcast truly serves as a call for reformation to charismatics. Like, even though it's theology grounded in charity, and I'm claiming, like, let's bring kind of reform between charismatics and the reformed community, like, let's bring a kind of a neutrality and find some common ground. Most of my episodes are much more geared for, you know, kind of calling out excesses and misuses and abuses and misunderstandings from the charismatic camp. You know, and I hope my want is that charismatics would be able to share this with their charismatic friends who maybe are trapped and tripped up into this stuff. Um, Because the reality is most of my listeners are charismatic continuationist leaning. I do have um, a good chunk that are cessationist. I know that, but I would say still over half are continuationist, at least in leaning. Um, And then he makes his accusation, right? I wonder how many of them are using it as an escape. Um, which I think is absolutely ridiculous um, because I'd agree in one hand that keeping busy is one way to avoid, right? People avoid by keeping busy. I've done it. I've done it a bit, right? Um, I've done it with church attendance. I've done it with empty prayers. I've done it with even tongues, right? Like people can keep busy and avoid transparency and brokenness and repentance before their God. But that, right, like accusing people that are intellectual of that rather than saying all Christians are guilty of this, all Christians can be guilty of this, I think is incredibly unfair and a bit ridiculous. Um, I agree that silent prayer and meditation is huge when you're dealing with hurt. Um, And sure, maybe some intellectuals have a busy mind, right? But we should be kind of latching this onto all Christians could be guilty of this rather than a particular group that we're trying to get our followers not to associate with, right? And that's kind of what this is. It's, hey, you know, they're only like that because they have trauma that's unresolved. And you know, and I know, and everyone here should know, when they say unresolved trauma, what they're really saying is you likely have demons, right? Because everything makes that jump. Um, and then they make this ridiculous, I mean, Mike makes this ridiculous out-of-pocket jump that reading the Bible and theology, which is literally the study of God, is the same as doing drugs. 
And Saldivar has the audacity to be so Pentecostal in the, mmm, wow, 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 right? Like, I'm just like, this is not good. I, I This is blowing you away. They're addicted to studying God versus addicted to drugs. It's still an addiction, right? Who in their right mind is going to say, well, you know, addicted to studying God is the same as addicted to drugs. It's not. Has he even read Hebrews 4, like 12 through 13 specifically, right? For the word of God, okay, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. This might come back up in our dichotomy, trichotomy talk, right? And the discerning of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Literally, what this is saying in the debate, right? I've, I've referenced this before, but the word of God being Christ or the Bible. When Spurgeon was asked, he said both. And they're like, you were just taking the easy way out. And he said, no, I really believe that. And I'd side with Spurgeon. I believe this is a reference to the logos, the word. The word became flesh. The word dwelt among us. The spirit breathed out the word, which points to Christ. And Christ left. But the word now is with us in kind of a new sense. And so you read Psalm 119 and you read um, so many things about the word of God. And I do believe it's just kind of synonymous in a sense with Christ. And so the word of God is living and it is active. Most When I was raised as charismatic, I read this and was told this is about the Bible, right? It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, right? Joints and marrow, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. So by studying the Bible, it pierces the soul and the spirit. It discerns the thoughts of man and the intentions of the heart. So I would say studying the Bible is going to do some really good damage, right? And he is saying these people are addicted to studying the Bible in the same way you could be addicted to drugs. No, no. Addicted to studying the Bible is going to pierce the division of soul and spirit. It will discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? And I love verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account, right? So first question for me, for Mike, right, would be, what do you even think a disciple means, right? Like the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower or simply a learner. <laughs> so to say these people that are getting into the deep exegetical stuff, the intellectuals, the learners, the ones who like to read their Bibles, well, it sounds like a disciple to me, right? It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else right? And the way we take up Christ today is by reading the Bible in its proper context, understanding the history, understanding the author's intent, understanding what's happening here and there and around, understanding what linguistic scholars say these words are in English, not what non-linguistic scholars by themselves say it is. Hashtag the passion translation still garbage. Um, so anyway, literally, he's attacking people that by definition would be considered disciples, right? And now I'm going to just let you have an onslaught of scriptures to consider, to ponder, and to let just, I mean, Colossians 3, right? Like, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? So I want you to consider these when it comes to learning and to doctrine and to teaching. These are scriptures that every single one popped into my head while I was thinking about this, because these are scriptures that completely revolutionized uh, my life. I would say all of these, right? Because when I started treating the word of God with more reverence, um, 
man, it revived something deep within me that was dead and it needed to be revived, right? It was almost like a new born again moment where I was like, I was lost. I was dying. I revelation three, you know, Sardis type of stuff. Like I was dying. I was busy. I had a name that I was alive. I was very charismatic. I was praying. I was going to church. I did 99 days of prayer and fasting, right? Like, but my spirit was dying and the word of God revived me. The word of God pierced my heart, pierced my soul, saw into me and said, come back right? And so I want to read these. I want you to consider these. I want you to, to, to let these um, scriptures just kind of saturate in your spirit. So Col- Colossians 3.16, I already referenced it, but I'm going to start with it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is often linked and tied to Ephesians 5, rightfully so. It should be because they're essentially kind of like a aligned scriptures that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and the church in Ephesus, right? Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Only way we can do that is by knowing the word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so John MacArthur, and yes, not always my favorite person to reference, but John MacArthur makes this connection, and many other scholars do. Um, John MacArthur was just the first one I saw to do it, right? But the connection in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 are, in fact, mirrored. Um, And so to be filled with the Spirit is synonymous to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, And to reference Mario Murillo, which, I mean, I've been saying this for a few years, but I want to use him by name because he is very clearly charismatic. If you want to get rid of doctrine and figuring out who has false doctrines, go ahead and render 70% of the New Testament null and void. Because 70% of the New Testament is addressing false doctrines and false teachers. Paul is constantly dealing with this, and sometimes, yes, by name. You know, so if you want a hyper charismatic name that's saying the same thing I'm saying, Mario Murillo said it too. We cannot render 70% of the Bible null and void because people are getting their feelings hurt by addressing their incorrect theology and teaching. Right, Titus 1 was written to pastors or to a young pastor by Paul, but it's very applicable to many Christians, but it is one of the key verses that shaped my paradigms. I mean, once again, I just lived in Timothy, Timothy, Titus for the longest time um, and just really, really wanted it to saturate my soul. Uh, but Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Pastors are called to hold firm to the word, give instruction, able to give instruction in sound doctrine. They hate that word yet. It's so biblical and rebuke those who contradict it right? So very willing to say much of what they teach, I believe, and I'm allowing this series to kind of iron out. And so I can have a really super strong conviction, but I'm already, you know, I already have some strong convictions in certain areas, right? But I want to give it one more run through. But 
we have to be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine, right? And I would say that both these guys are. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, right? They're saying suppressing trauma. Well, I would say for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, it is very biblical to get into scripture, right? And they're saying that it's an addiction, right? No, it's actually going to be good, <laughs> correct, reproof, and bring about righteousness. Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. First John 4.1, most charismatics don't like when you quote this one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Hebrews 13.9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Right? Contextually, I understand people might get into the nuances there, but the idea here is do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. 1 Timothy 6.3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Right, and I know they're going to take acts, and this is always the charismatic demon thing to do. Like, I was just reading the Bible, and my goodness, well, I just took the Bible for what it is the Bible, and I was like, why don't churches look like this nowadays? What's the issue? What's the problem? Well, that gets into a lot of questions, right? I'm not saying the American church is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. However, you already have kind of like a it's scary. This is the thing I try so hard not to do. And perhaps the reason maybe I should be more dogmatic on certain doctrines, but I try not to be. And my reasoning is this is because when you become so set on a particular theology and way of thinking, you become unteachable, unreachable. And uh, it's very dangerous. I think that's what happened with Bill. He's clearly said like, my theology won't allow for God not to heal someone. You have gridlocked your theology in such a way that, of course, you're going to be word of faith. Of course, you're going to be prosperity, right? And I think they've done something similar where they're reading about demon deliverance and they're saying, my theology won't let me live a life that doesn't deliver demons, right? They're, rather than looking at, geez, all the epistles that Paul wrote to the church and recognize that there's really not a whole ton about demonic deliverance in there. There's really a whole lot more about loving on each other, being united, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, about giving and, and the Lord's Supper and um, teaching and bringing a spiritual gift and all of these things that are addressed in the epistles of Paul, and yet they want to latch on to some things they see in the gospels, experiences historically that happened and say that should be the normative. I mean, heaven forbid we actually look at the life of Christ here on earth as one of the most supremely supernatural and amazing events in world history. Um, anyway, I mean, it's just kind of like Acts 2, the way Pentecostals will take that and misconstrue and misapply it to the way it should be today. And I think, you know, there's obviously the latter portions of Acts 2. Yeah, let's take that and let's apply that. But people want to take Pentecost instead of the following, what the church actually became from Pentecost rather than Pentecost itself. But nonetheless, I digress. 
Um, first, or 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 3-4, For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Very scary to think, right? So do not pursue a doctrine or theology because that's what you want. And that's what these guys do, right? I wanted to be cessationist, right? I have told people that. I will tell everyone listening to this right now, I want to be cessationist. But I can't get there, right? I cannot get there. I want to be well, maybe I shouldn't say the other ones. There are certain things I want to be, but I can't get there and I'm not there. And right. Um, I mean, heck, if I had my way, I want to be a universalist. Let's just use that one because that's easy for me to say I'm not one. But if I had my way and I wanted to be something, I would be a universalist, right? I would be a cessationist, a, a Calvinistic cessationist who didn't have to adhere to holiness or godliness. I didn't have to read my Bible. I didn't have to pray that much, but now I'm saved. So I'm always saved. I don't have to do anything. Hyper-Calvinism kicks in. I don't need to evangelize because everyone will be saved because I believe in universalism. And I can just live however I want to live, right? Like there's so many things maybe my flesh would want. And maybe you could argue, oh, well, that's my spirit that wants that, right? But we cannot have these itching ears, right? And accumulate teachers that suit our own desires. Now in the day of media and and internet where we can literally just heap up all the teachers we want, it's dangerous, right? That's why I do my best to listen to a variety of denominations, right? I listen to Sproul, I listen to Spurgeon, I listen to the guys at Remnant, even though, right, like there's not always times I agree with them, but they're clearly charismatic. I listen to Sam Storms, I listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones, those are all continuationist people, right? Um, I've been listening to, um, I've listened, I mean, there's so many people, right? I've listened to a variety of voices, a variety of teachers, even John MacArthur, who I disagree with on a lot of things. I listen to him often. I listen to Alistair Begg, right? I listen to um, Tom Schreiner. I listen to Wellam. I listen to um, Matt Chandler. I don't agree with all of these guys on every point, right? But when you accumulate a variety of gospel-centered preachers and gospel-centered pastors and you let them kind of fine-tune your theology regarding all these various secondary issues, right? And I'm not saying just that. Obviously, number one, get into the Word of God. Number two, I would say get into history, right, in the church history. Um, but, you, you, you know, even looking into shudder, right? Catholic teachers like Augustine or Tertullian, or um, people might not want to call them Catholic because that was early church, right? And so it's different. But nonetheless, you could look at Thomas Aquinas and people say, avoid him, avoid him on certain things. Sure, but not everything. Um, nonetheless, right? We continue. Uh, we, we pile up teachers that don't necessarily fit our narrative, right? Saldivar saying, don't go watch American gospel. I'm like, literally, why? Like, you should be able to watch it and refute it in a biblical way. If you can't do that, then step down, my guy. Like, anyway, I digress once again. Second John 1 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Literally, to be intellectual, as he would say, and to dwell on the word is so biblical. And we're called to abide in the the scripture. Anyway, Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
I mean, geez, can we even just look at Psalm 119 for a minute? I won't for sake of time. Romans 16, 17, this is the one that a lot of heresy hunters quote, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but it is there, and it should be considered when we look at the context of Romans and we look at what's happening. Paul had never been there. He gives the fullest gospel presentation of any of his letters, and so, yeah, I would argue this is very gospel-centered thinking when he writes in Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, my brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them right? So we avoid those people, right? You know why um, the Bible is stuck in my head, right? Because I want more revivals. C.H. Spurgeon said, if we want to see more revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. Why? Because Isaiah 55, 11 says, God's word will not return void. I believe there's a link with Hebrews 1 there, right? Like in the day, God spoke through his prophets but, and through the apostles, but now through Christ, right? Like literally, this is the, the final mouthpiece, so to say, of God, the word of God, the, the scriptures canonized, the testimony of Christ and Christ's teachings that were left for us by the apostles. That is the word of God, and it will not return void. So if we want revivals, yeah, preach the Bible. Once again, to quote Mario Murillo, who's a very extreme charismatic, right? But I'm just throwing out names so we can kind of get people comfortable with this type of thinking. He said he heard from the Lord, Mario, if you do not preach sound doctrine, all of the miracles and deliverances and the healings and the things you see and the crusades, all of it will go away because he's not currently in a, in a good enough way, teaching sound doctrine. And so he's trying to bring himself and others back to this realization that we have drifted far too over here. We don't care enough about doctrine anymore. We don't care enough about the Bible anymore. We don't care enough about theology anymore. We've drifted too far. And yet there's these people that say, well, Jesus's disciples were dumb. So can't we just be dumb? No. First and foremost, that is a misconception. There is no way historically you can prove that or biblically you can prove that. They were men, 12 men, right? Were they dumb? No. Were they brilliant? Probably not brilliant either. I mean, even based on 1 Corinthians 1, we can make the assumption that they were just normal guys. Why would the God of all the universe choose normal people? Shouldn't he choose like the emperor? Shouldn't he choose nobles and elites? No, he chose simple men right? So I think you can make that argument. But to make the argument that the disciples were dumb is preposterous. I mean, read their writings. They were smart. They were empowered by the Spirit, right? Um, and so it's just crazy that people are so gung-ho against doctrine when it's so biblical, right? Teachers and pastors, we have to equip Christians with the weathered and tested doctrines of old, right? Like we should know the church fathers and what they said. We should read the Bible in its proper context. We should be willing to explore church history. Like reading um, the story of Christianity is one of the best things I could have done for my personal growth, right? So I would recommend that to you. I mean, even to think that there was a day where I was told and taught like to bind and loose and what that meant. And then I actually study it for myself. And I realized that for the past 2000 years, nobody's believed what I believed my whole life to bind demons and to loose good things, good spirits. Nobody taught that for the past 2000 years. That's a new thing. Literally, this is about church discipline. <laughs> and yet, when you read it in its context, you're like, wait, why did I always think that had to do with like, 
and we bind the spirit of witchcraft and we loose the spirit of joy, right? Like, why was I taught that by Pentecostals, right? It's because once you get into that theological echo chamber and nobody's challenging you, you're on a dangerous path, my friend. Let yourself be challenged. And to the reform community, even if you are listening to this, like let yourself be challenged by a continuationist who's good, right? Let yourself be challenged by some of the thinking. Listen to the debates. Listen to the different various teachers, right? Um, so yeah, I, and I've got like one more little bit here. So I, I know I've gone a little longer than I intended, but hence rambling. Um, in fact, I recently told my wife, you know, Learning is just when I'm doing my best spiritually. When I'm in the Bible and I'm in a good book and I'm meditating on what I'm learning in the Word of God and what I'm learning in the book and I'm applying it and pushing it down from my head to my heart, like that is when I'm doing the best. And so for him to make this claim about intellectuals and bookworms, it's the exact opposite for me, right? Because when I was charismatic and when I was struggling with my spirituality, I hid behind tongues. Because tongues, I'm just going to be honest, you guys, there's nothing happening in the brain unless you choose there, choose something to be happening in the brain, right? Like if I'm intentionally thinking about XYZ situation and I'm praying in tongues, okay, right? But like literally you don't have to think about anything. It's mindless. There's nothing to it. There's right. And that's the fruit aspect that I struggle with a little bit, but I would hide behind tongues. I could pray in tongues for hours. Guess what? It did not do anything. I thought it maybe did. It didn't. I was spiritually dying, and yet I could pray in tongues. I could go to a prayer meeting and jump up and down and worship and pray in tongues. But I wasn't dealing with my own trauma, as he would call it, or my own stress or anxieties or issues or uh, sin. I wasn't repenting, right? The word of God is what is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? That's the thing doing a work in me. That's what's changing me. Because when I read something in the scriptures, I'm like, ouch, I don't live that way. Ouch. I don't yield to Christ in this way. Ouch. I sin in that way. And then I repent. And then you repent, right? So don't hide, right? If you are someone that's hiding and avoiding, you know, repentance and, and vulnerability with the Lord, right? Like being vulnerable with Christ is a beautiful thing, right? Like I do believe wholeheartedly that we as Christians, we know that God can see our sin. We know. So there's like this part of us that's like, yeah, you see it. Ha, repent. I'm sorry. Please forgive me, almighty God. And we kind of hide in fear versus like just a head on like, God, you see this in me. What was me? A man of unclean lips. Give me a deeper horror of my sin. Never let me go a day without coming to pray to you and beg for forgiveness for my sin because I need you, God. By the working of your spirit, I don't know how, but please empower me and strengthen me to be the man I'm called to be, to rid myself of the sin that defiles me, of the thoughts that haunt me, of the things that I should not see, the things that I should not say, the things that I should not do, the anger let me be a patient man by your spirit. Let me be a kind man by your spirit. Let me be loving by your spirit. Let me be the husband and the father and the worker and the pastor and the friend and the family member that I'm called to be by the empowering of your spirit. Right? Like truly vulnerable prayers. Right? Like I meant every single word that came out of my mouth right there because those are prayers that I pray. And I mean them with every fiber of my being. 
because I remember being charismatic. I remember doing all the ins and outs of a good Pentecostal. But I remember my personal prayer was so much shame because of the legalism and a faulty understanding of the gospel, a legalistic approach to the gospel, right? I want to read and connect two last passages and end. Um, Yeah, two last ones. Looking at my notes just to see, and I'm just kind of pausing for a moment just to think. But John chapter 10, verse 24 through 29, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep will hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Right? And you may be thinking, John 10, that's what convinced me of Calvinism, right? No, I'm not going there because of that. I'm going there because of verse 27, right? 26 and 27, namely, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Oftentimes where people did not believe in Christ um, and they didn't see him for who he was, they misunderstood him, right? But when you believe him, then you understand him. And so we are those who are of his sheep. So we believe him, we understand him, we hear his voice, we, we know that he knows us, and we follow after him. And we are safe and secure in his hand. No one will snatch us out of it. This demonic teaching that they have is demonic. It's scaring people away from this certainty that they have in Christ. I would argue it's dangerous. I think it's um, misusing the word of God. I think it's twisting it. And I don't know what their purpose is in it. But Matthew 7 also says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father. Right? Couple that. And then, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Right? We know his law because we know his word. We know his word because we follow after his will and his teachings. So I would argue that this um, claim, this hot take by Mike, is unfounded in so many ways. And they're just trying to pit their listeners against the Reformed community. Don't listen to American Gospel. Don't listen to Rambling Preacher. Don't listen to those types of people because they have unresolved trauma. That's why they study the way they study and get into the deep exegetical stuff of the Bible and theology, studying God, heaven forbid. (laughs) Anyway, until next time, think on it.
good.